on Thanksgiving. This is not my guilty pleasure, okay? My guilty pleasure starts at about 5 o'clock on Friday morning when I turn on Twitter and I start watching for the videos. You know the Black Friday videos? The ones that, that some jerk refuses to turn his camera sideways so you can get a good view of people trampling each other to get a TV or whatever. And it always blows my mind because we go from one holiday where we're thanking God for everything that he's given us and then hours later, sometimes the same day, right? Didn't they do that for a little bit where you could like go to Sears or whatever? Sears is still a thing, right? Uh, you could go to Roebuck. And, <laughs> and, like, stand in line in the middle of the night, and, like, they'll open the doors at 11 o'clock where some guy who didn't finish his turkey dinner had to come and work to sell you a TV for $40 less or whatever. I mean, like, and it's crazy, right? Like, we go from, thank you, God, for everything we've gotten. Thank you for the provision. Thank you for, for the family. Thank you that we can be content with what we have because you've blessed us so much to, I will poke your eyes out for that doll, like, I will. I mean, and you've seen it, right? Like, this is not a thing I'm making up. And for some reason, it's like, it's like a car crash. You know, for me, like, I want, I, like, I see it, and I'm just like, wow, this is, you know, total depravity. This is a theological thing in motion preparing for Christmas. Um, and this is not, I'm not the first person to point out, like, the craziness of thank you, give me more. Right? Like, y'all have heard this before. I'm not trying to be original. Actually, as I was thinking about Christmas and New Year, I realized that this is the part two. Think about this for a second. Christmas is all about God came as his son, or like God sent his son. God, God stepped into this world that Christ like, like lived this perfect life because we're sinful. He died for our sins because we can't be good enough to earn our way to heaven. And then we're called to like walk in him and through the Holy Spirit and through Christ in us, through the new creation that we become, we become better and better and better, more and more like Jesus. And then like a week later, we stay up all night drinking or playing cards, which depending on your group might be sinful. I don't know. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. Um, <laughs> it really was a joke. I'm sorry. But like we say, we step all night and then the next day we start doing what? Dieting. Dieting, which is actually the number one resolution, isn't it? Number two is like exercising and then there's work more and all of these other things are work more. Nobody says work more, do they? <laughs> Maybe. But like they, we come up with all these things and we say, I am going to be a better person this year because I'm going to do a, B, C, and D, and I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, and this is the year I'm going to try really hard, and I'm going to do it. So we go from, I can't do it on my own, and I need God to do it for me, too. Here's the list of things I'm going to do on my own. It's never struck me as ironic before. Um, this week we're going to talk about this topic, um, because the reality is, and it's kind of a kind of a weird reality, the reality is that that we are in our state, God provides us a way to be like Jesus. I was telling my kids in the car the other day, we were driving to Great Falls, and uh, I was on a phone call, actually. I was not intending to have this conversation with my kids. Um, but I was talking with somebody, and I was telling them about like how I went through recovery from alcoholism. And I talked to them about my, like all of these things in my life that were terrible. And I 
I, I get off the phone, and the first thing that my daughter and son in the back seat say is, Dad, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know, and they suddenly had all these questions, and I had to explain that there have been large swaths in my life where I was just a terrible person that, like, nobody wanted to be around. Like, that's it. And my son, and I love my son because he said this, uh, and even more because he believes it, I think, um, he says, Dad, I think you're a pretty good guy. And I, I, uh, I told him, I said, you know, Titus, I'm only a good guy because Jesus made me better. Like, at the bottom point for all of that, my wife prayed for God to kill me or fix me. And the only reason I'm not awful is because of Jesus. And everybody in the room, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. But, like, I think sometimes we get sideways. And what we're going to talk about is now that we've gotten the best Christmas present ever in Christ, what do you do with him? Get what I'm saying? I mean, like, have you ever gotten, I'm actually, my son got a drone. It's really neat. Has not read the instruction manual yet. And it has created some difficulties with using the drone. Right? All kinds of different. I don't want to get into it. But, like, like, fact of the matter is, we celebrate the gift of Christ. Everything around Christmas points to the gift of Christ to make us brand new. And oftentimes, we don't read the instruction manual. We don't think, how do I accomplish this? How does this work? This is what we're going to talk about today. Um, My sermon title, I don't know if it made its way up there, is New Year, Same Old You, right? Because the fact of the matter is that if you try really, really hard, it's okay, I have nowhere to plug it in. Get, sit down. Um, Nobody wants me to plug it in, it'll be a shorter sermon. Um, Same old you, because no matter how hard you try, it's still you, right? It's still you. And so... What we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this. How do you become this person that we're supposed to be in Christ? Um, so we're going to start with Jesus and the new you. Um, and actually, before I get to that, I'm going to, I'm going to share a story. I, I read this about this uh, bodybuilder, American bodybuilder, uh, and y'all are familiar with him. I'm going to leave my shirt on so you can't get the visual. Um, but like this American bodybuilder, come on, that was funny at least, uh, travels to Africa and he's doing this tour and he's visiting places and he visits this little village. And while he's there, the, the like guy who's in charge of the chief or whatever, uh, asks him, he's like, wow, you're the biggest man I have ever seen in my life. He's like, what is that about? What do you do with that? And the guy said, I'll show you. He takes off his shirt and all that, and he does his poses and his routine. Again, I do it for you, but it'd be a distraction. Um, and, and he watches him, and he's in awe. This guy is, like, so big and muscular and huge. And he's like, that's amazing. But what do you do with it? And he's like, well, I just showed you. That's what I do with it. He's like, wait a minute. You have all of that muscle, and its only purpose is to show off to other people? He says, well, of course. The chief looks at him and says, wow, what a waste. He turns around and walks away. Ladies and gentlemen, people in the room, Jesus is every ounce of muscle you could possibly want to become what you were made to be through and through. And a lot of times it becomes a pendant we wear around our neck or a box we check or a feeling of guilt. Anybody ever just feel guilty? Man, I should pray more. Man, I should definitely read the Bible sometimes. Man, I should definitely... And it becomes these things, but never like transitions into new life. It never becomes like like the V8, you know, Hemi motor under the hood dragging us in the direction of holiness. 
But that's what it is. It's a, otherwise, well, to kind of use the same analogy, Christ is that V8 Hemi motor that brings us to holiness. But a lot of times we're the guy who insists on pushing the car to work, right? I'll try really hard and I'll stop using foul language. I'll stop really hard and I'll pray without falling asleep three minutes later. Anybody? Just me? All right. Uh, and so Jesus came because we can't do it on our own and we need him to do it for us. Um, I'm actually stealing this from Adam, who uh, we were talking about this topic, and he gave me a sermon outline. I almost preached his sermon. I decided to do something a little different, but like he narrowed it down to three things. First off, like we are dead in sin from birth. We are dead in sin. We cannot do anything to please God on our own because of our sinful state. Um, this is uh, Paul in Ephesians, right? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying these cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. To summarize, it's a big theological idea, like the, the technical term I think is total depravity. Um, but dead in sin is the other one, right? Um, if I have a parrot and the parrot is no more, it is not alive, right? Um, maybe I've duct taped pieces of it back together. Nothing I can do will make that parrot be alive on its own, right? I can force feed it all day long. I can put nice outfits on it. I can whatever. It will not suddenly be alive, Right? It'll just be a fancy dead parrot. Um, And that is the truth of it. And when I try on my own to be holy and righteous and good, I am simply putting window dressing on something that is not alive. Um, Jesus called the Pharisees who were doing this. They would follow the rules as well as they could with giant signs and shows that made it look like they were super holy. And he said, you guys... You're whitewashed tombs. You're like a grave full of dead bones, rotten decay that somebody painted to look nice. There's nothing good happening there. And that is our natural state. Um, We are dead in sin. Uh, Going on with Adam's sermon outline that I am not stealing but am stealing is that we then in Christ become dead to sin. We are born to new life and sin is dead to us. Meaning, like, it is taken away from us. It no longer, like, controls us. We are no longer under its power. It is over. Right? We become dead in sin to dead to sin. Uh, And actually, I'm just going to keep going in Ephesians because this would have been the perfect text for this sermon. Um, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. By the way, grace is a gift, which is why Christmas is about, you know, we do this gifting thing, right? Like God gave us Christ who died for our sins. We don't earn, we don't deserve, you're not good enough, you're not cute enough, you're not wonderful enough to deserve grace. You receive it because God loves you and gives it to you for free. And God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we have been made alive because God is glorifying himself. He loves you, 
is number one, right? But also God is glorified through the showing of mercy. And like all of this stuff works together for God's glory and his design and his plan and his will, all of this stuff, you are made alive. But now get this. So if you were dead and now you're alive, you are not a zombie, by the way. Um, you are a new living thing. But if we were, like Paul talks about this a lot in Romans, where he's like, listen, you're dead to sin, so like get up and walk away. If I wake up in a grave tomorrow morning, first off, I'm going to try and figure out what I did to make Jess mad. Secondly, I'm going to get up and leave, right? It would be an exceptionally stupid thing to stay there. Because even if I was dead when they put me in the ground, I ain't dead now, I'm getting up. If you stay there, it's foolishness. If you, if you realize I'm alive, not dead, don't do dead stuff, be alive. And that is the truth of it. Like we go from being dead in sin, we come to know Christ, Christ fills us, he brings us new life, he breathes the spirit into us, and we're alive. And it's awesome, right? And we stop being dead. We get away from sin. Um, there's a trick to that, because I know some of y'all have been like, uh, wait a minute, I've been following Jesus for, I've been following Jesus for 30 some odd years now, and I'm, I still sin a lot. Um, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one. And I'm guessing those of you who say you don't sin are probably lying or really blind. I keep picking up my cup and not drinking it. It's just silly. There's an analogy in that. Um, and so the gift we receive in Christ is not only are we dead to sin, but we are alive in Christ. We go from being like God's enemies and far away to Christ living in us and us living in him, us knowing God personally. And by the way, this is built into us from birth. That's part of the reason. Like I remember working in mental health and you'd work with these kids whose parents were like drug addicts and criminals and abuse them and everything else. And they're horrible people and they won't do anything to get them back. And those kids will go through three years of treatment and then run away in the end and throw it all away because... I just want to be with my mom again. It's like, yeah, but your mom doesn't want to be with you. I don't care. I want to be with mom. That is built into us because parents are placeholders for God until we reach the point that we can know God. Everybody with me? By the way, parents, that should be terrifying. You have a lot of responsibility because you're standing in God's place. But for us, we desire to know our parents, and we desire to know God. We desire to pursue God. We desire to be close to him. Those of us who have no parents and wish we did, understand that you can have a better parent by knowing Christ. By walking with God, you can be put in that position, and it is amazing. You step up out of the grave and into intimacy with the Father, with your creator. Um, never alone, never abandoned, never forgotten, loved for eternity unconditionally when you were at your worst he loved you enough to send his son to die for you and so we are alive in christ this is the end of my ephesians passage for it if by, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works meaning you cannot earn it so that no one can boast for we are god's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff built into the end of that verse, and it's easy to miss because a lot of words, right? I'm going to pull this out here and like unpack it for you real fast. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What that means is God brings you back not just to park you in the driveway and look awesome. Got it? 
You are made to be on the road. You are made to squeal your tires. You are made to get pulled forward by that Hemi V8 Jesus thing. I don't even know who makes Hemi. Is that Dodge? Oh, sorry. Bad analogy. <laughs> Drinking the tea. Um, <laughs> Drinking the tea is like a youth thing, too. That was a funny, out-of-date thing. Um, and so, listen, we are created for the purpose of doing good works, not to look muscular, but to use that muscle to do God's will, right? And sometimes we'll think, oh, you know, I have spiritual health and all this. I'm going to do what I want. Like this is, you know, I'll pick the direction. That's not it. You gain spiritual health. You gain spiritual strength by being in Christ, by being obedient to Christ, by following Christ, by living out the calling that you have been given. Everybody with me? So you are alive in Christ for the purpose of doing good works, which were prepared in advance for us to do, which means that there's a plan. And there's a plan that it's your job to do. So God has prepared work for you to do and prepared it in advance with the intention of you're going to have these muscles. You are not going to just use them for show. You are going to use them to spread Christ, to become more like Christ, to, to be who God meant you to be. Oftentimes you find this with um, gentlemen. I am sorry. I'm going to throw gentlemen, husbands under the bus where we, uh, it's a very common thing for men to do, where we get married, and marriage was the, the finish line, and now we're done. And we get a job and buy a house. Get that. In reality, marriage is the starting point. Right? You get married, and now you do all of the work of knowing your wife more, and spending the rest of your life, like, loving your wife like Christ loved the church, and, like, serving her, and being close to her, and everything else. In the same way, these works that we're to do in advance make us more like Jesus. It draws us closer to him. We know him more. Our lives get better. Our hearts get more full. And we may not get rich doing it. In fact, generally, you will probably end up in the other direction, right? But God will bless you and make you rich, not by the worldly standards, but by real standards. Not by good or Black Friday, but by Thanksgiving Day. Not by New Year's Day, but by Christmas. Right? And so, Christ not only makes us new, he provides us the means for growing into righteousness. He also gives us the destination and the roadmap to get there. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the tricky part. So, all of, you know, dead to sin, uh, alive in Christ, now what? Well, already, but not yet. Oh, my gosh. Um, Already, but not yet, is a little like how, uh, I think it was Michelangelo was a sculptor, right? Did I get that right? Or is it Da Vinci? One of those guys. Um, Was a sculptor, and he said that he would look at a block of marble, and he would see what was in there, and then his only job was to take away everything that didn't belong. Like, we are the person that God has designed us to be already, but not yet. And so, in eternity, you will be what Christ has created you to be. But the whole process of arriving there is pursuing holiness and chipping away the pieces that don't belong and growing and, like, thriving and becoming like Christ. Um, And so we are already like Christ, but we are not yet like Christ. It's a little complicated. Ask me later if you don't understand because I can't explain it anymore. Um, We're going to do some Romans 7 and 8. I'm going to do this fast. So I find this law at work. 
Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to God, uh, the law of sin. What's Paul talking about? Well, Romans 7, first off, read it when you get home. It is brilliant. I one time stood in front of a room of uh, guys in recovery, and I read this passage. It was all I did, and somebody stood up and yelled at me like, wait a minute, that's in the Bible? Well, yeah. Really? Because it's all about like, I want to do the right thing, but sin grabs hold of me and I do the wrong thing over and over and over and over again. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Because we are subject to our bodies, to sin and death. We will carry that with us until we are in eternity. But in Christ, we have a different level. And there's always going to be a war inside us over that. There's a really cool little like side note here. Um, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Uh, this is a sort of side reference to an old legend about Persian kings and what they would do to people that they did not like. If you murdered someone, it was a, apparently this legendary thing. They would take the man you murdered and chain him to your back, and there he would stay. Think about that a minute. And he would go everywhere with you. And very slowly, he would smell bad. It would be like having children. They're cute at first, but then they smell bad. And then they rot your soul, I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love my children. That was a joke. It was not a real thing. I'm so sorry. But like this body on you would begin to eat you away, and you would die horribly because the like rotting corpse would like consume you. And Paul is saying, listen. Living life trying to follow Jesus is a little like walking around with a body chained to my back. There's a part of me that's dead and there's a part of me that's alive and they're fighting with each other. And I just want to get rid of it. And he says, who's going to save me for this thing? And he says, ultimately, only Christ can. Only Christ will. The next chapter picked up. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Meaning you're, you are in Christ. If you opened your Christmas gift, you said, I will keep this thing. It is now my deal. I am living this life. There's no, there's no condemnation. Well, does that mean, you know, if I sin, I'm out? No. It means you're forgiven. It means that, that that stuff doesn't apply. It means you live your life pursuing Christ and chasing after this holiness and getting to know him more and love him more deeply and having him take you over and be more like him um, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who did not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Oh my gosh, that was a lot of words. What on earth is he talking about? He is saying our flesh, our bodies, our sinful nature is killing us. Christ came, took it on, lived perfect, was punished for our sin, and those of us who are in him are forgiven, period. And that is awesome. Right? And so we are made brand new already, but 
Not yet. By the way, that's why New Year's resolutions don't work. Because if you try to do things in your flesh, you can't do them. And even if you manage to do them, like, it's all fleeting. Only in Christ do our acts last forever. Um, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the fleshly desires. Hit pause here. The reason I'm using this text is, if I am in Christ, I belong to him. I am, like, either a slave to sin or I am a slave to Christ. And so I've gone from one extreme to the other. So if I'm in Christ, Christ picks the direction. Guess what that means? That means that if my New Year's resolution is to be as rich as possible by the end of the year, and that ain't Jesus' will, I'm going one way, he's going another. Right? I, I remember a bunch of times in my uh, work life, I have a very short attention span, and I get very distracted easily. I know you're all shocked. Uh, but in different low, low, you know, like regular jobs, like hourly jobs, I have set out to accomplish something I thought I was supposed to do and gotten done and realized that I did not do what my boss had told me. Anybody ever do that? Where you work like a day and you get done and you're like, look at all I did. And they're like, yeah, you were supposed to plow that field. That's what this is. In Christ, we have, first off, somebody who gives us direction. If I pick my resolutions, I will be a better person by... Being thinner, I actually have to lose weight because of my heart stuff. Like I got the blood pressure and cholesterol and everything else. And so I actually have to do this. Um, and so in theory, it's God's will. But if I do it because I want to be awesome and I want chicks to dig me. Um, first off, my wife might object to that statement. And I got a glare when I said it. Um, secondly, if it's not drawing me closer to Christ, then it's just a distraction. Right? Now, is there a benefit in physical stuff? Absolutely, 100%. Paul says so, right? It is not everything because your spirit is more important. If you look beautiful, if you look thin, if you look svelte, if you look muscular like me, but your soul is dead and rotting, guess what? You missed it. And so I pick my directions. I pick my goal. I pick my destination based on Christ's will for my life. And so it is with New Year's resolutions, ideally, right? What does God want me to be? Have you all ever asked that when you start thinking about, what am I going to do this year? Read more books? Stay at work more? Do you ever think, like, what does Jesus want me to be this year? How do I be more like Christ this year? How do I grow in holiness this year? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, meaning I can do awesome stuff, but if I do it by my own flesh, I will not please God in the process. I cannot do it. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you might live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That Abba means Daddy. It is an affectionate term to refer to a father in uh, Greek. And the idea, or Hebrew, sorry. I think Hebrew, is that Hebrew, uh, John? It's Aramaic, whatever. One of those. Neither of us speaks Aramaic. Uh, The idea is there's a difference between obeying because I have to or I'll get fired and obeying because I have to because I'm a slave and obeying because I have to because I love my father and I don't want to disappoint him. Right? 
And so we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, help me do this. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so ultimately, we have this direction. This is how you get there. This is where you're going. Don't pick your own direction. Go where the Father who knows best for you tells you to go. And after that, we have the road map. This is how we do it. Well, you might ask, how do I do it? Um, last point here. Must work like he works in us to make us new. Um, but how do you do that? Because it's a real easy thing to say. All right, I'm going to do better this year because Jesus is going to work in me. Go. No idea, right? Um, actually, we're given a lot of gifts. We're given a lot of things to make this possible. And there are things that our culture doesn't always understand. First off, it's described over and over again as walking in Christ, right? Walk in Christ. Not run, not sprint, not catch the train, walk. And part of the reason that is is because you've got to do it every day to get anywhere, right? And ask Dale, who I think walks like 900 miles a year, right? But you've got to do it every day to get anywhere you want to go. You can't do it once. It's like eating salads. I've yet to find the salad that makes me look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? You've got to eat them every day. That's the problem. That's the catch. That's where they cheat you. Um, and so we walk in Christ. That begins by submitting. He's got to be in charge. He's got to be the one driving the car. You know, there is no Jesus take the wheel, right? Unless you took it and got lost or stole the car. Got it? Also, that song's awful. Um, we have to submit and unconditionally, like, live for him. Because... If I was, and honestly, this is the idea. Like, there's this great end line in Saving Private Ryan. Have you guys seen that movie? Like, for those of you guys who are young, not like you millennials, that was an old black and white silent film about World War II. And in the end of the film, Private Ryan is talking to uh, Tom Hanks. I don't know what his character's name is. And he, uh, everybody, all these men have died to save him. And he says to him, he says, hey, earn this. Like, earn, earn what we just did for you. In Christ, we don't earn it. You can't earn it. But I'm going to tell you, if somebody died for me, since Jesus died for me, if somebody took the bullet for me, if somebody saved my life, if somebody, you know, you know rescued me, I would, I would live because I appreciate it. And I would do right by them because I appreciate it. Because I am grateful. And I would submit unconditionally to Christ because, because Christ died for me. Because he bought me when I was his enemy. Most basic facility that we have in this life is church. I do not mean Sunday morning between 11 and 12, 15 maybe. Um, that's not it. I was under my front porch with Adam this morning, or yesterday, two days ago? It was two days ago for several hours. And we joked and we crawled around in the dirt and we talked about Jesus quite a bit. And the day before that, we were in the mud under a different part of my house talking about Jesus, talking about struggle with sin, talking about becoming Christ-like, telling jokes, being silly, being ridiculous. I think last night, no, I was helping you blow insulation in the cold, in the dark, while our dinner was getting cold, um, and children were laughing at us from inside the house. Uh, and it's weird that, like, just spending time with a brother in Christ for a few hours every day, like, Man, it made me different. Just a little bit, right? But that is the church. The church is walking with other brothers and sisters in Christ who you fellowship with, who 
like disciple you, meaning they train you. They talk to you and say, hey, this is a thing you can do to grow. Or here's something I observed that you could work on. Or, hey, is this really a good idea? Or, you know, whatever. Like these are people who are honest and open and talk to you, keep you accountable, teach you how to do better. They encourage you. They pick you up. They offer whatever it is you need. That is the church. The church that is just the people who show up and vote once a year is not the church. This is worship. It is not church. Right? Church happens at the Erie's dining room table. Church happens under my house sometimes, apparently, which is a whole weird thing. Church happens anywhere that brothers and sisters in Christ step up and take care of each other. If you follow Jeremy Eccles around, you'll see church happen eight or ten times a day. That is the best thing that we get. But we have to chase after it, and we have to be open to it. Because if you close your life, if you close your heart, if you become a blank wall that nobody knows anything about you or cares anything about you because you're a stranger, it will not work. Do you have to attend church to be a Christian? You do not. But it is really, really hard because you're missing the batteries. You're missing the gas. You're missing the frame of the car. You are missing so much that you need. We have to spiritually work out. The hard thing about losing weight is you have to exercise, right? I, uh, I, when I was able to go to the gym every morning at 4 o'clock and I could work out with nobody around, it was wonderful until the first, like, two weeks of January. You know why? Because other people showed up, and it was awful. But those people stopped showing up when they failed their New Year's resolutions because they stopped working out every day, right? Like, but the thing is, if you don't exercise, you don't get the benefit of exercise, There's no pill yet to do that. Spiritually working out is reading. It is praying. It is worshiping. It is spending time celebrating. Do you guys ever have a bad day and celebrate that God gave you something good despite the fact that the day was awful? And do you guys ever celebrate your kids because they're wonderful, even though they're looking at their phone in the back pretending that I'm not seeing them from up here? I'm thankful because my daughter has the prettiest smile And it's so much like her mother, it's amazing. We confess our sin to one another. It's weird, it is so easy to confess to God, but saying it out loud to another person, how hard is that? You know why? It's because you're not talking to God, you're talking to yourself. Because if you're really talking to God, you would be wetting yourself, terrified. It is the reason Dietrich Bonhoeffer tells us that we should confess sin to one another as a mediating step between confessing to God before confessing to God. Why? Because, like, it's hard to tell other people, I sin. I have impure thoughts. I have anger. I have bitterness. I have jealousy. You have to rest. The crazy thing about exercising, um, oh, also you got to seek a trainer. you got to find somebody who will help you grow spiritually. It is weird how hard it is to grow spiritually without somebody telling you, do this stuff, right? You pick up the Bible and say, I'm going to read the Bible this year. You start in, like, Genesis, and by the time you're to Numbers, like, you're out of gas because Numbers is awful. It's actually a wonderful, awesome, interesting book, but, like, it's hard to read. Um, Having somebody to train you, to teach you, to walk with you is vital. And you just got to ask because most people would be happy to do it. You got to rest, too. We are move, 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 do, do, do. We do not rest. But you will never grow big muscles like some of us have. Not me. be honest if you don't rest because you grow when you rest but we don't do it and finally when we struggle with the flesh we have to kill it by going to the spirit 
I read this interesting story, and this is where I'm going to end, and we're going to be doing some communion today. Um, I read this story about this man who was one of the first people to try to fly over the Atlantic Ocean. And as he's flying, he hears this weird noise in the back of the plane, and he looks back and he realizes that there are rats in his plane, and they're chewing on his cables. And he's got a problem, because if the rats cut the cables, like the rudders and all the other pieces don't work, I don't know anything about airplanes either. Um, and so he's sitting there, and he's terrified. He's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose control of my plane. I'm going to die. And he's watching the rats chewing the cable. He's watching, he's watching. And then he has a stroke of genius. He pulls back on the stick, and he flies as high as he possibly can, and the air gets thin, and the rats die. You know why? Because they need air. For us, if we discover sin in us, we rise up above it into the Holy Spirit. We pray, we read, we stand with our brothers, we celebrate, we worship, we do Jesus' stuff. And that flesh, that sin, those rats that are chewing away at the cables inside us, getting us ready to steer off into the ocean, those rats die. Because they need this world to survive. They can't survive in God's presence. And so as we struggle with sin, we run back to him over and over again because they can't follow. One of the ways that we do this is with communion. One of the ways that we remind ourselves, like viscerally, of how we are forgiven and how we need to come into Christ to be made new, to be made holy, to, to become what we were meant to be, to achieve the, the goals that he sets for us like, and, and for our lives. Like the way we do that is... In Christ, And one of the things that Christ commanded us to do, I'm going to call, I need John, Adam, uh, and like three other guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeremy, we, we take the Lord's Supper. We take communion. And this is something Jesus told us to do in remembrance. He told us to do it as a reminder constantly. I think uh, we're going to be having some harmonica during the first part of this.